Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, my name is Nick, and I am now the CEO here at Just Ask Parker. There is a podcast that came out a couple of weeks ago with a little bit of information and the announcement of my arrival. For those of you who are so used to listening to Caroline over the hundreds of episodes that have been recorded previously, Caroline is due to have a baby any day now from when we're recording. So by the time you're listening to this, she's probably had her baby which means she's now on maternity leave. So any inquiries coming into the business will obviously be looked after by the Just Ask Parker team or it was something that me and my team pick up here in London. If you haven't already, please go and do subscribe to the podcast. There's phenomenal amounts of information on there. We've got some amazing guests coming up and Just Ask Parker as well is now open for business. We did close our doors for a little bit, not in terms of our clients, just in terms of new clients coming in. That's now changed. So if you need some support in your marketing, go and check that out. But as you know, we don't press too hard in terms of our Just Ask Parker offering on these podcasts. The last thing to announce before we dive in and I introduce my guest, which I'm really excited about today, is to let you guys know that we're going to be posting a new podcast every single Friday. Some of them may come out on Saturdays. And the only reason for that is it takes a little bit of time for iTunes and Spotify to catch up with the fact that we have launched a new podcast. So keep an eye out Friday or Saturday, there'll be a new episode popping onto your screens around that sort of time. But without further ado, let me introduce our guest today who I'm going to interview. His name's Chris Marshall. He is one of the founders of an agency based here in the UK called OnState. And OnState are experts in e-commerce, and they previously worked on lots of other platforms, but have recently turned their attention to Shopify. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I've actually been very excited about having you on this for quite a while, Chris. For anybody who doesn't know Chris or myself, we've worked together for a number of years now on a whole range of projects where we offer a lot of the marketing stuff and on state of building out websites, working on CRO and designing and creating lots of new things. So Chris, tell us a little bit about OnState. Yeah, so OnState, we're a, an e-commerce, as you say, an e-commerce agency. We're e-commerce specialists. So we design, build, optimize e-commerce websites, online stores. And we've been doing that for a little over 10 years. We formed back in 2010, uh, the turn of the decade. So we've just had our, our 10th birthday. And we work with a whole range of different sized businesses. So we work with enterprise businesses, large retailers, multi-channel retailers. We work with lots of fashion brands. And we do work with some smaller local businesses as well. So that the full range of online merchants. Amazing. And obviously, some of the projects we've worked on have been, you know, which we'll talk about a little bit more as we go through. But some of the projects we've worked on with you guys have been, as you say, have been sort of startups, new stores popping up. Equally, then we also work on the enterprise stuff. So, you know, my next question really is along those lines of enterprise, why Shopify? Why on earth would you recommend Shopify to an enterprise business with millions of pounds or dollars worth of revenue each week? You know, why, why would Shopify be a good fit? Well, as you said, 
Nick, we've worked on different platforms over the years. So since we've been going, we've worked a lot on Magento and also Salesforce Commerce Cloud. But the last couple of years, we've seen a real shift towards Shopify. And Shopify has always been there, obviously, and especially at the, the smaller end of the market. But over the past couple of years, it has become certainly a more viable uh, option for enterprise businesses. And there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, I think one thing is that I think it always was a good option, but I think there's a growing realization now among larger merchants who've been through these, these, these larger, complex, expensive, technically complicated platforms and have realized that actually they don't need that level of complexity and they're paying for a lot of functionality that they don't really need. The analogy I always use is Microsoft Word. So lots of us use Microsoft Word, but we only probably use about 10% of it. And that's really what you get sometimes with these larger platforms. I'm not running these platforms down. They are absolutely fantastic. There are cases and, and clients and situations where they work perfectly. What we've seen happen over the past two to three years, certainly, is their shift towards this more, I don't want to say simplification. You can still do complicated things on Shopify, but yeah, a simpler way of working and a more agile mindset. I couldn't agree more. And I think one of, the, one of the big projects we're working on at the moment, actually, is exactly that, isn't it? It's somebody who, they're based on Hybris. And as you say, 10%, I think, would be a, a very, very generous estimation um, of how much of Hybris they actually use. You know, I've mentioned them on, on a previous podcast as well, obviously not by name, because it's going to be quite a big launch and it's got to be kept under wraps until, uh, until things go live. But yeah, exactly that point where the first conversation we had with them, I sort of said, well, why Shopify? What's the problem? And the response they gave, I was slightly shocked by, but also I'm starting to hear it more and more, was even just creating a basic page for a campaign or something new is really difficult. And actually moving to Shopify gives them so much freedom in terms of just creating content moving things about, updating products, etc. They'd quite happily opt for something where they have less control so that actually they can do more in total. And so, um, you know, exactly as you said, I couldn't agree more in that case. So in terms of Shopify, then, do you think all the enterprise stores need to jump straight onto Shopify Plus and use the kind of all singing or dancing platform? Or actually, do some of them get by completely fine on the, on, on the sort of basic packages? It depends. It depends on the case at hand. I mean, underneath, you know, it's fundamentally the same platform. So what you have got when you move to Shopify, even if you start on one of the smaller plans, is you have a sort of built-in roadmap for moving through the different stages. So when you get to that point, you can start off on the basic plan. But when you get to that level of scale, Shopify can convert you into a Shopify Plus account with you know, virtually no downtime and away you go. So it's really, it really comes down to looking at the, your specific requirements, looking what's available, and then making a decision. But the important thing to bear in mind is you're not committed to that decision. Sure. And you've just mentioned the upgrade from Shopify to Shopify Plus. How different is it? And I'm going to name and shame another platform here because it's my podcast and I can do what I want now. But <laughs> how different is it going from Magento 1 to Magento 2 to going from Shopify to Shopify Plus? Well, Magento 1 and Magento 2 are fundamentally different platforms. Magento 2 is a complete rewrite. Shopify and Shopify Plus are essentially the same. So your theme, your apps, everything that works for you on Shopify is going to work for you on Shopify Plus. With Shopify Plus, you get increased level of service, you get up to 10 stores, and you get some exclusive apps and functionality that you don't get on the basic plans. So yeah, there is no, um, there is no significant technical barrier to upgrading. Sure. And I think, again, it's one of the plus points in terms of scalability and future proofing that I think Shopify does offer. Is, in your opinion, is Shopify the only option on the market? Or are there other options if people are at the same sort of size, but they want to compare Shopify to something? Or is, in your opinion, is it that unique? They have to go with Shopify or take a completely different approach? No, there, there are many options. 
big commerce in particular is one that has emerged quite significantly over the uh, the past couple of years. You've got increasing amounts of what are known as headless e-commerce platforms, which may be suitable for certain use cases. Generally, I would say Shopify is well established. It's very easy to use. It's got a great ecosystem of apps uh, around it. And as I say, even the larger retailers we're working with have, have realized that you know what, it does 80 to 90% of what we want out of the box. And we can always find an app or do some custom development or build a custom app if we need to extend it to fill something that isn't covered out of the box. But yeah, you do have options. There are options out there and they're all worth exploring. Definitely. And I think, again, it's a, it's certainly a good question to ask. And again, you know, using this, this hybrid, the Shopify Plus store as an example, and we do the same with a lot of clients. And I'm sure you guys get asked the same where they sort of say, which platform should we be on? Or the wrong question we get asked a lot, and it is the wrong question, is which is the best platform? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, every, every expert is going to turn around and say, well, it depends on your requirements, your size of business, that sort of thing. But okay, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions now around some of the limitations of Shopify and some of the things that I, I know you and I were discussing a Twitter thread recently. Some of the things that often get kind of passed around verbally in terms of bad parts of Shopify. So the first question I've got is, if you've got this big industrial ERP system, so for anyone who doesn't know what an ERP is, an ERP is where all of your customer data will sit and you can run your entire warehouse business, customer info, etc. That will then be the central point for all your other systems. So your website, your warehouse, your email marketing, maybe some advertising, all these different systems will play out of your ERP as the central source of truth, essentially. How does Shopify play with ERP systems? Like, do you have to use Shopify's own one and just use what comes in out of the box with Shopify, or can you plug it into other systems to make it play nicely? Shopify has a full API, which means that it can talk to virtually any other system. That may require some development in order to do that. There are plenty of services out there um, that can facilitate conversation between two such systems. So your ERP system generally will have an API. Your Shopify has its API. You really just need to facilitate the conversation between them. Now, there's different ways of doing that. You can take, there are services out there, like I say, like something like Zapier, for example, can connect different systems. At a very basic level, if you don't have an ERP, maybe you want to put all your order information into Google Sheets, for example, so you can report on it. Uh, something like Zapier could help you do that. It can, it can listen for new orders within Shopify and put them in there. As you look at more... So, you know, larger, more sophisticated ERP systems, um, warehouse management systems, order management systems, call them what you will. There are lots of different terms for a group of uh, systems which essentially do very similar things. They generally are pre-built with integrations into Shopify. Shopify is so large, it's in the interest of these systems, if they want to get some market share, to actually pre-integrate into Shopify. So, yeah, integration... It needs planning and you need to give a lot of thought to, you know, what's my business process? How am I going to manage my product data? How am I going to manage my orders? Select the system that fits best. But then the integration itself can generally be fairly straightforward. Sure. And I think, yeah, I mean, just, just to echo some of that, um, a lot of, certainly to you guys on state, a lot of businesses will hear that as, okay, it's really easy. I can plug it into whatever I want. I would just add a quick word of warning that it is easy for a business like OnState and someone like Chris to do that. However, if you try to play with APIs and that sort of stuff yourself and, and hard code it without using those integrations that exist, hard coding it is going to take a lot of time. You think about how many API calls, which essentially is a bit of data moving uh, you know, back and forth between different systems. Those API calls can be going on thousands and thousands per minute. I certainly, I know somebody who was playing with APIs uh, a few years ago and they came back and realized that their server bill on their hosting where the, where the actual API integration sat 
So they built their own sort of um, app that was connecting these two systems. It told the system to connect as quickly as possible and as regularly as possible. And their server bill for the amount of data moving around was absolutely chronic. And what was quite amusing about it is the actual API itself was just a dummy. It was just a test. Ended up costing about $700 for the month just for server space on, um, on Amazon Web Services. And anyone that's used Amazon Web Services will know that's a heck of a lot of money to spend on servers because it's so cheap. As Chris said, you can plug it into anything and it will work with any system within reason. And if it doesn't work, there are ways you can plug into those APIs manually to get that to work. Yeah, what you've described there, that, yeah, we do a lot of that. We, we build custom integrations. But going back to the, uh, the point about simplicity, I would always start from the position of if there's a pre-made integration with a system that gets me 90% of what I want that's probably a better option than then going off and, and, and developing something bespoke. Absolutely. And a lot of those integrations would be a click of a button as well, rather than um, you know embarking on sort of discovery scopes and how these systems are going to work together and that kind of thing. A lot of developers as well, if they do build an integration like that, they'll often release it to everybody else to use at a small fee or, or even for free, depending on um, which system it is. So uh, yeah, plenty of options. As, as you say, Chris, go for the one out the box if it does exist, because it's going to save you a huge amount of time. But that should be part of your research process anyway, when you're looking at which platform to go with. You might find other platforms are easier to connect up to other systems than Shopify is. But again, do your research and do a bit of discovery on that. Right, Chris, we're going to take a complete change of direction now. And we're going to talk about something much, much more fun than integrations and back-end systems. Because I appreciate a lot of people listening to this call will be wondering, how do I get my store started? I've got a store. How do I get my first few sales? That sort of thing. So what's your advice if somebody was just starting out? They've launched their store, it exists, they've put a theme on it, they've uploaded their products, they're waiting for their first sale. What advice would you give to that merchant? Work with somebody like yourself to make sure that you're getting plenty of traffic to the store. I mean, just to <laughs> echo the point, I would, uh, based on this on experience with retailers and merchants, large and small over the years, is fail fast. Yeah, What I would do is get something to market as soon as possible, get it live and start learning. What we've seen uh, businesses do repeatedly in the past is wait until they have something which is ap- in their in their eyes absolutely perfect before launching something. That results in increased development costs. It results in you know, delayed launches. And, and at the end of the day, until you're actually live and testing and seeing what's happening with actual real people, you don't know if it's going to work or not. So I'd always go for the simple option: get live as soon as you can, get the traffic to the site. Look at your analytics, look at your data, or if you can't do that yourself, work with somebody who can, who can interpret those numbers and tell you what's going on, and then start to learn. Get feedback from your customers as well. I mean, you'll have seen online surveys. I mean, I never fill them in, but people do, and they can be a really good tool for you to find out what your issues might be with your site. I always think of it in terms of if I had a physical store and I saw somebody walk out without buying something. I could ask them why, or I could infer, I can see them. So I can maybe figure out why they haven't bought. You don't get that with an online store. You just see numbers in your analytics and you see that you're doing 1% conversion. Now, that's easier said than done. People do answer those surveys. But if you're starting out and you've not got a lot of traffic, you're probably not going to get a lot of response. And certainly, if you've got a 1% conversion rate, the people you really want to speak to are the 99% of people who are coming to your site and leaving. Unfortunately, they're the people least likely to speak to you. One thing we do with all our clients is we sign up to a service called Hotjar, which gives you a suite of UX, user experience, and research tools to help you understand what's happening on your website. It will give you click maps. So you can get a view of your homepage and it will overlay on that sort of heat map. It'll tell you where people are clicking. And that can be quite useful to figuring out how you want to design your homepage. But it does do these surveys and or as it calls them, polls, 
one thing we set up, and this is an idea we stole from another business, uh, <laughs> quite openly admit that, is a, a post-purchase survey. So when somebody's bought something on the site, we pop them uh, a little question and we say, was there anything that almost stopped you buying? And what we found is we get really good actionable feedback through that question because if it almost stopped this person buying, it might well have stopped a good chunk of that 99% of people who aren't buying, buying as well. Not only that, they've completed what they wanted to do on the site. They've finished the task at hand. They've bought something. So rather than interrupting them with a question when they're in the middle of what they're doing, we find that doing it as a post-purchase question like that, it, it gets a much better response rate. So yeah, look at your numbers. Try and use any means at your disposal to speak to your customers and, and, and understand why they might not be buying. Sure. And I think there's a really important point you made right at the start that I'd love to echo quickly. And that is perfect doesn't exist. You know, I often, uh, I often reference the kind of myths um, side of SEO and stuff like that. And one of the things I'm always saying is it's never finished. You know, it's, it's an ongoing process. I think, as you say, that there is an element of if it's a brand new store and you've got no data to go on and no history to work from, you need to gather some quite quickly. And I think, you know, another point to make on that as well is there's sort of three stages to this, aren't there, Chris? There's a sort of, there's the acquisition side of things. So you're acquiring traffic into your website. Then there's the second thing that you've just been talking about as well is you need to make sure your house is in order before they arrive. Otherwise, they're going to turn up. They won't find what they're looking for. It won't make sense. And even the pretense they were given on the advert or the piece of marketing collateral that bought them there isn't going to make sense when they land. Therefore, they're not going to buy anything. And then the third part to this as well, which is going to be my next question to you, Chris, is you've got an order from somebody. And I talk over and over again on these podcasts and in any presentations I'm doing and any clients I'm talking to about lifetime value of customer. How do you do that? And where does Shopify fit into that mix as well, about that, that part three of lifetime value of customer? Normally, what you do is you'd integrate Shopify with other systems in order to do that. So you've got your, uh, obviously, you've got your analytics data. You need to build a marketing model based around lifetime value. So have a plan for how many times you plan to sell to that customer. You can work back from that to figure out how much you're willing to pay for a customer and factor that into your marketing now, one way of trying to drive repeat value from customers with Shopify is to integrate it with other systems. So email marketing platforms like Klaviyo or MailChimp, for example, MailChimp's not really an option on, on Shopify anymore. But certainly Klaviyo seems to be the default choice for Shopify store owners these days. Also, if it's a, the right kind of business, uh, look at a loyalty program. Um, there's a great platform called Loyalty Lion, which for Shopify merchants doing up to a certain amount of orders, I think it's up to... 800 orders a month is, is free to get started and can be installed very, very quickly. Now, it can be installed very, very quickly, but you need to give thought as to how your loyalty program is going to work. But certainly they are tools that are well integrated with the platform that can help you drive repeat value from your customers. Cool. And when you say driving repeat value from customers, how exactly does that look to the customer then? So you've spoken about loyalty, you've mentioned MailChimp, which is obviously an email platform. What does the customer actually see in that? Is it just a case of um, offering them discounts or is there a, a better way of doing it? You can do discounts. You can do referrals as well. So the loyalty, the loyalty platform I just mentioned, Loyalty Lion, will manage a referral scheme for you. So existing customers can refer their friends and get points back, which then can be redeemed against purchases. Shopify has a fairly basic but powerful promotions engine uh, in it. And yeah, you can be quite creative with that. And you can use that to issue discounts. You can use apps to generate unique codes if you want to give people single-use codes, for example. 
Sorry, does that answer your question, Nick? <laughs> yeah, it does. No, just uh, your answer initially, you sort of dived into all the systems, which all make perfect sense to me. But I was just thinking, again, somebody who's just started out, you might start talking about, you know, MailChimp and things. And it's like, okay, I've heard of that, but what would I use it for? But yeah, I think the point is loud and clear that once a customer comes in, that's going to be the most expensive part of the process here is getting those new customers in the door. The thing that we always find, and, you know, we're doing more and more work on this within, uh, in my team here in London, we're doing more and more work on this over time. And that is, how do we get repeat orders from customers? And the, the point being, you know, as, as you said, Chris, about the acquisition, I'll give you guys an example of, uh, of some numbers to make it really clear. If you divided your marketing budget or your marketing spend, sorry, so how much you've spent on marketing, divide that by how many new customers you've got and say that equaled 20 pounds or $20 per new customer. So you've got a figure of roughly $20, 20 pounds for every time a new customer comes into your store and makes a purchase. And that's on average. Then if that customer only spends £40, you've spent 20 of those £40 on getting them there in the first place and getting them to make that first conversion. And then you've also got this other £20 now to cover the cost of the products, your website, all your marketing, staff, and try and make some profit at some point to pay the directors. You know, I appreciate a lot of people listening to this. You're probably sort of one, two, three people in the business. And actually, the directors probably aren't getting paid initially, you know, because it's your project that you started out. So that's one scenario. And that doesn't sound very exciting. You've sort of spent 20 pounds out, you've made 40, but then the other 20, you're probably going to spend out, you might even spend more than the other 20, fulfilling the order and getting all the products working and, you know, managing the actual business. So where repeat orders come in, where lifetime value comes in is if that 40 pounds that customers spend, say that happened five times a year. Now you've got 200 pounds, not 40. However, those subsequent orders that they've made have come from email and they've come from social media or they've come from just, you've got such a great shop and a great store on your website, good design, good products that people just want to come back regularly. Some subscription businesses are so popular at the moment because you get that repeat order coming in. You know, Just Ask Parker is a subscription business. Partly for that reason, because we can build so much value for our customers over time rather than just having a sort of one-stop shop for this project here, this project here. But again, that's why so many of us in, in the e-commerce world talk about lifetime value so regularly, is if you suddenly turn that, that £40 you get, £20 spend, £40 back, if that £40 becomes 200 every year, and perhaps they stay with you for three or four years, now you're talking a few thousand pounds or a few thousand dollars, actually you can now justify and you've got the data to back it up that you can spend a lot more than £20 getting each new customer in, which also means you can now widen the net and start using other advertising platforms to do that. So again, that's why e-commerce is so important in getting your website working as well as that lifetime value, potentially email. Email seems to be the biggest thing in there, but that's why it's so important getting all of that sort of stuff working. I just want to go back to a point to one of your earlier questions about things you can do when you're just starting out. Uh, and there was one thing I didn't mention, which I, I should have mentioned. A, a really good thing to do is, if you can't get feedback from other areas, is get somebody you know, a friend, relative, whoever, sit them in front of your website and ask them to try and buy something. And that is, it's proven time and time again to do what's known as usability testing is the best way to surface issues on your website. Usability issues, which may be stopping people buying. Uh, they may be technical issues. They may be, yeah, like a, a problem with a particular browser. Or they might just not get your offer. Yeah, they might not understand what your proposition is. Now, if you sit somebody down and you ask them to, don't be too prescriptive. Don't tell them exactly what to do because they will just do it. But ask them to loosely buy a certain type of product or whatever and then sit and watch them 
and you will learn so much from doing that. If you do that with five or six people, you will learn a, a lot about what might be wrong with your website. If they do get stuck while doing it, don't help them. Just ask them questions like, what are you looking for here? What, what did you expect to see? What did you expect that to do? And you'll begin to understand that maybe some of the assumptions you made while you were designing the site or, and, and, and planning the site maybe don't resonate with the average customer. You need to do a better job of explaining it. The other thing I would mention as well is I say sit them down in front of it. The chances are most people accessing your website are on a mobile. So maybe get them to do it on their phone because that's how most people are going to be viewing the site. And that is free unless yeah, you might buy your friend a drink or whatever. So as a thank you for doing it. But it's a really good proven way of finding issues with your website. Let's stay on this thread because this is a really, really interesting point actually and something that comes up a lot. I'm going to ask you a question, Chris, specifically about Google Shopping. And my question is this. Somebody goes on Google Shopping, a consumer, a potential customer. They go on Google, they search for a product. Google Shopping comes up at the top. And as everybody will know, especially if you listen to my last episode talking about Google Ads versus Facebook Ads, on the Google Ads side, we talk about shopping. It comes up at the top. It's a brilliant platform to use. And it's definitely the first place we generally, not always, but generally recommend advertisers start. So someone's gone on Google. They've seen the Google Shopping ads at the top when they've searched for their product. They've clicked on one of those products. They've seen the title. They've seen the image. They've seen the price. They might have glanced at the name of the seller as well, which is why branding your store is really important and having a nice quirky name or something that fits your customer base. But they click on that and they land on the product page. Now, what are your thoughts on that, Chris, in terms of how that product page should be laid out, given that it's the first thing this potential new customer has ever seen from your business? That's a good question. Uh, I don't understand sometimes why, uh, especially if I'm searching for a branded product. Say if I already know what the product is as the user, you know, I'm looking for, I don't know, a pair of Adidas Superstar trainers. I know specifically what I want. I've seen the price on Google Shopping and I've clicked on it. You should have a really high conversion rate for that, but generally it doesn't work. We've done a lot of work with this on product page optimization. So one of the things when we're looking at website analytics, one of the numbers we look at is what's called bounce rate. A bounce rate is the percentage of people who land on your site, look at one page and leave. So if you've got a 50% bounce rate, half the people look at one, one page and then disappear. And we want to get that bounce rate down, generally. It's a good metric to follow. What will happen as well, you look at your data. And on Shopify, it's quite easy to do this. Well, it's relatively straightforward to do this. You can, within analytics, you can see your homepage. You can group together all your category pages because on Shopify, they'll all have the word collections in the title. So you can group those together in analytics and you can group together all your product pages because they've all got the word products in the, sorry, not in the title, in the, in the URL, in the, in, in the address. And what you'll see is that people landing on the homepage and the collection pages generally have a lower bounce rate than those landing on product pages. And that's because the homepage and collection pages are generally gateways to somewhere else. There's links to other categories. And yeah, there's lots of signposting to move on to something else, whether that be more product details or more information. Product pages really are the end of the road. And consequently, you get really high bounce rates on those pages. So we've done a lot of work with our clients about how to, how to do that. We, d- we did one very interesting experiment last year with a client. So we took their product page and we looked. The product page is the page that most people see. People put lots of effort into the homepage and put in, you know, like we'll get all our messaging and we'll tell people about who we are and we'll put it on the homepage or we'll put it in our blog or whatever. Whereas reality, and we did this piece of work with a, with a new client the other week, we're saying effectively the product page is your homepage because that is 66% in this instance, two thirds of people were looking at the product pages, entering on the product pages and, and not seeing anything else. So if there's something important you want to tell somebody about your business, it's a good idea to do it on there. 
it's a challenge because you've also got all your product information on that page. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the, the experiment we did. So this client of ours had a decent amount of traffic. So we we're able to run A-B tests. And A-B tests, if you haven't done them, you create an experiment and you try one design of a page against another. And what we did on their product pages was, okay, we saw lots and lots of people landing on these pages and we saw a high bounce rate. Okay, we theorize from that, yeah? These people don't know who we are. Uh, they're a well-established business, well thought of um, in, in the area in which they, they, their stores exist. But outside of that, and we could see this in the data, the bounce rate was higher for people coming from outside of their core region. So what we did was we set up this experiment. So it said, right, okay, someone's landing on this product page. If they're landing on this product page, we're going to change this page. And we, we, we put trust messaging, we call it, on the page. So we made it more prominent how long this business has been established. The fact that it had physical stores. Now, all right, I might not be near to this physical store, but the fact that this is a well-established business with shops that I can walk into is reassuring. They had product and service reviews, and we made those more prominent. And we ran that experiment for three weeks, and it's the best, most successful test we've ever run. Yeah, we ran it for, uh, say, two or three weeks. The 50-50, half of them saw the new version. The old version, I think, generated £50,000 worth of revenue, and the new version generated £70,000. And the software that was running, the A-B testing software that was running the experiment said, this is a clear winner. And yeah, that new treatment is still live on the site today as a result. Yeah, some valuable advice there. And I think a thing that Chris touched on um, straight away was about the the journeys. Like people, as you said, you know, people are going to be landing on product pages, on category pages, and rarely, and less so on the homepage. The homepage is often the returning visitors, the ones that your browser has remembered what website you've been on, you've jumped straight back to it, which is a good thing. But actually, then why do you have all the introductory content on the homepage when actually the homepage should be more about like, here's some other stuff you might be interested in, or here's our latest offer or our new range and things like that. One thing that you can do to find this out is um, is look on Google Analytics. It's a free tool if you've not used it before. If you haven't used it before, please pause this podcast, go and set it up. It's so important to have Google Analytics running on your site. And there's an area in there called behavior and then landing pages. And you can see who's landed on what page and what percentages of people have landed on each page. If you're on Shopify, you can search the word product and that will pick up every single product page on your site and show you how many people are landing on those at the moment. And bearing in mind, even if it's like one or 2% right now, if you start running Google Shopping, that percentage is going to change because you're specifically driving people to those pages. So as Chris said, you've got to get enough information on there and have enough of a welcome journey. Welcome to our business. Here's what we do. The reviews are really important. But equally, you do have to balance that against the buy ready traffic. Because the other thing you'll find with Google Shopping is, as Chris said um, with his example of the Adidas trainers, If you search up a very specific product, you probably know what product you want already. You've done your research. You've done your um, discovery and and exploration journey. You know what product you want. Now you're just looking for delivery, for price, for specifications, that sort of thing. So again, you've got to make sure that lift and shift model that anybody can come on the site and buy it quickly. You have to make sure that 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 buying model is still available at all times. So what we're not suggesting is that you put so much content onto the the, uh, product pages and the category pages that people can't make a buying decision or they get lost. This is, about, this is about adding more onto those pages so that anybody who doesn't know what they want or doesn't know who you are or is sort of buy ready, they found Google Shopping, but they haven't made the purchase yet. This is about, as Chris said, stopping them from bouncing, giving them enough information that we're a trustworthy business with the right place to buy from. If you've got something quirky about the way you package your products or deliver your products, those pages are a good place to put that as well. So Chris, finally, before we wrap this up, last question from me is any final tips for Shopify store owners or things to be aware of 
or even things on the Shopify roadmap coming up that you would recommend? Things to be aware of on the Shopify roadmap. So Shopify, they if you've got a B2B aspect to your business, there's likely to be some uh, B2B functionality emerging in the platform quite soon. Now, this is probably one area where some of the other platforms are a little bit ahead of Shopify at the moment. But about a year and a half ago, Shopify bought a B2B business uh, over in the States. And as I understand it, that team is working on building B2B functionality within the platform. That's definitely something to be to be mindful of. And what that will probably give you is the usual set of B2B functionality. So the ability to have different prices for different uh, types of clients. Um, there's probably going to be things like um, quotes, quoting systems in there and whatnot. I would assume there would be. So that's one thing to bear in mind, especially for brands uh, coming onto Shopify, because you, you, you know, as well as wanting to go direct, you still will have a wholesale business. So potentially Shopify could be the platform to manage both of those. There's this thing called the new store design experience. So if you're familiar with Shopify, you'll be familiar with the way that you can currently manage the homepage where you can create sort of modules, edit modules, click and drag and move them around on the homepage. That's going to be rolled out to every page on the site. Uh, we think that's going to be a really powerful tool for anyone running a, a, a Shopify website. There are some new uh, improvements around internationalization and management of different currencies that are coming later this year. And there's been a whole slew of recent changes. You know, if you've not implemented them yet and they are relevant to you, there's a whole some changes specifically to support businesses with, you know, during the COVID crisis, um, offering local pickup, local delivery. Um, that's all in the platform. So, you know, if, you, if you've not seen that, have a look at it. You know, get on the Shopify website, find out about it, because you may be able to switch these things on. Um, finally, just to echo one of the points earlier on, you know, we talked about website usability. If that's of interest to you, and it should be, if you're running an online store, you know, you should care about how well your, your website performs. I'd recommend a book. Um, uh, there's a book called Don't Make Me Think, which is, it's been around for ages. It's been updated a few times, and it's a really good primer on how to make a usable website and online experience. It's a great book. It's, it sort of practices what, what it preaches. It's really easy to read. It's not, it's not heavy at all, and it's interesting, and it's packed full of tips and tricks that you can implement more or less right away. Great. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Chris. It's been great to have you. I hope for everybody listening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you're staying safe. And I hope this has been useful today in terms of giving you some good advice and that sort of thing. If you've got any recommendations, please do check out our Facebook group, recommendations for podcasts or questions about things. There's a good community on there that can help you out. And I myself do keep an eye on the group as well. So yeah, feel free to ask any questions on there. As I mentioned earlier, tune in again next week. We're going to be releasing podcasts every single week now. We've got so many other guests like Chris um, who are going to be joining us. So thanks so much for joining us today, Chris. And I hope to see everybody again next week. Thanks for listening. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time. <laughs>